0: Good. It's good to see you all here today, just to worship God and study His Word with us. It's always a, a glorious time, and, and what a powerful passage that He's called us to. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you need a Bible, we want to put one in your hands. If you have one, that's where we're going. Just raise your hand, they'll find you there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Alright, alright, alright. right. First Corinthians 15. Today we're going to look at verses 35 through the end of the chapter. Verse 58 in a message that I have entitled, Victory Through Our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Amen? <clears throat> Let's take our hearts to Him. Lord, once again we just say, uh, come and move and minister and, and have your way am, among us, Lord, and, and speak, Lord, to us. And uh, Lord, not only... God, we, we know... That you are faithful to speak. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to hear. And uh, Lord, to be more than a hearer only of your word, but to be doers, Uh, Father. So again, we just give you this time and we pray, Lord, that you be glorified in it. Lord, the body be edified in it. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Amen. Hey, listen stop sinning and start sharing Jesus. I mean, uh, this is the reality of where we left off last week. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Paul said, for some do not have the knowledge of God. Some of the Christians in Corinth were flailing and floundering around because they were being bamboozled uh, into believing that there was no resurrection, And uh, as we've noted before, what we believe will in fact determine how we behave. So if you don't believe that there's a resurrection, if you believe that this life is all that there is, and uh, you know, then living in extreme debauchery and depravity would make perfect sense. I mean, defile yourself to the fullest because there is no hope. There's nothing to look forward to. There's no joy. There's no fulfillment beyond what you're able to grab hold of in this world. And the fact of the matter is, you aren't even going to be here that long. And so you may as well as the old, uh, I think it was, and I, I think it was an old beer commercial. <clears throat> you say like, go for the gusto, right? <laughs> but that 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 is the kind of the mantra of the unbeliever. You may as well just go for it, give it all you've got, because if the dead don't rise, then Christ isn't risen. And if Christ isn't risen, listen, we can't be saved. So why bother with all the service? Why bother with all the sacrifice, all the spreading of this message that will very possibly only result in problems, be it persecution or affliction or oppression, in my life? Paul is saying if the dead don't rise and Christ isn't risen then I'm a fool. You know, I'm a fool for spreading this message. I'm a fool for literally risking my life on a daily basis for leaving behind the power and the prestige that I had before I was a Christian. Listen, Paul definitely downgraded when he became a believer as far as his social status was concerned. And, and there are all kinds of, these are the kinds of arguments that Paul has been uh, setting up and, and knocking down throughout this chapter. And we've taken our time, haven't we? We've really taken the time to work through this this power. I told you when we began this chapter that if there were a top 10 category of most you know, important or significant or profound chapters in the Bible, of which I don't know if it would be possible to even create such a thing, but if there were, I just don't see how 1 Corinthians 15 wouldn't be on the list. It's so important, it's so profound, it's so, so powerful. Listen, if your hope, is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the resurrection means everything to you. We place all of our eggs in that single basket, so you and me, we should be left with no doubt, because it's proof positive that Jesus is everything that he said he was. He accomplished everything that he said he would in abolishing the power of sin and the grip of the grave, amen? But, but Paul here in, in our present passage is persuaded that there may still be some, you know, pseudo-intellectual standing around trying to argue his point against the resurrection. And so he continues on. If you're with me, I would draw your attention specifically beginning in verse 35 where he says, But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Now, Listen it 's completely possible that i 'm wrong here, okay, I just want to throw that out, but somewhere in my mind, this argument, you know, well, how are the dead raised, and with what body then do they come? This kind of this snarky, sarcastic, uh, cynical type of a statement uh, it came from one of the Judaizers that like to follow Paul around and somehow sow seeds of doubt into the validity of his ministry. And what I mean by that is I I get the feeling when Paul states this kind of a preemptive question for them to think through that uh, it's not the first time that Paul has been confronted with this question. You know, it's like this isn't his first rodeo as it pertains to arguments against the resurrection. Guys, let's remind ourselves that before Paul was a Christian, he was a Pharisee. You remember that, don't you? And as such, he was hyper legalistic, but he believed in the resurrection. You know, as a Pharisee, he received, as inspired from God, both the Torah, right? The first five books of Moses, and then also the Psalms and the Prophets, essentially the entirety of the Old, what we would call the Old Testament. You know, as a Pharisee, he would consider to be, uh, you know, inspired Scripture. God breathed. Now, there was another sect Of Jewish leaders you remember them so they had the Pharisees they were hyper legalistic and we like to say they just they weren't fair you see Um, but then there was and that's an old one man but I've got another one coming too and that other sect was called the Sadducees and they were just sad you see Um, and this kind of thing that's I don't know if I've got any more today so just enjoy that one Uh, but uh, you know they didn't believe, the Sadducees, this is what made them so sad, you see, was that they, I'm just going to (laughs) keep, till I get at least a snicker out of you guys, but be that as it may, they didn't believe in the resurrection, because they purported, that Moses, and they only adhered to, they only received as inspired from God the first five books. That's why I mean, like the Pharisees received from the Torah and then the Psalms and the prophets and all. The Sadducees didn't do that. They considered inspired of God only the first five books of Moses. And so they didn't believe in the resurrection because they purported, well, you know, uh, Moses made no mention of it, it's nowhere to be found in his writings. Therefore, we don't receive it. We consider it to be false doctrine. And they had all these, the Sadducees had all of these, uh, what they considered to be profound and irrefutable arguments against the resurrection by which they could prove the foolishness of such thinking, you see. You know, as they would stand there kind of smugly and uh, want to make you look like a fool for believing such, you know, ludicrousy in all of this. And and you find them there, the Sadducees in Matthew. You can write it down. You can read it later if you like, but I'll just share it with you. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 22, and they're seeking to refute this doctrine, this teaching of the resurrection by presenting Jesus with a problem, and this is what they they like to do. They like to present <clears throat> Jesus with problems, and, and and they're all, you know, teacher, you know, and, and it's just, you can, it's like the smug sarcasm almost just drips out of the passage, you know, teacher. Now, Moses says that uh, if a man dies, you know, having no children, that his brother should marry his wife and, you know, raise up offspring for his brother. They're baiting the trap, okay? They're baiting the trap. Uh, they need the nod from Jesus, like, yeah, that's, that's what he said, and they get it, okay? So they bait the trap, they need the nod, they get the nod, and then they carry on. Well, you know, there were seven brothers who lived among us, and, uh, you know, the first died. He was married, he died, he He didn't have any kids, and so his brother took her as Moses commanded and you know uh, after a while uh, he died as well and uh, you know he didn't have any children either and so the next brother married her and I know this sounds crazy teacher I mean what are the odds right I mean but uh, the third one died having no kids and then this carried on and on and on till all seven married her legally and bindingly and none of them had children you see and then ultimately she Died as well. Therefore, in the resurrection, well, whose wife will she be? Since they all seven legally, bindingly married her according to the law, you see, and the trap snaps shut. It's like, riddle me this, yeah? And what the Lord said, I just, guys, I mean, it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you out debate Jesus Christ? You know, I mean, these guys, it's like they never learn. It's like, or or maybe as Paul said in Timothy, always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And what the Lord said next, it was like one of those mic drop kind of moments. You know, He said. you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures ouch nor the power of god okay so so jesus points out two fundamental flaws in their position in this statement now number one they only received from the first five books of uh, you know and they have made a life study of this right and I mean so if you're I mean and don't get me wrong there's plenty there but if you're spending the entirety of your life studying five but you, I mean you'd think you would like at least you you would know what it says right and so Jesus points out these fundamental flaws he says number one listen to this if you're going to argue from the scriptures make sure you know the scriptures right think about that if you're gonna argue from the scripture, you better make sure that you know the scripture. And truth be told, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, if it hasn't happened to you yet, it probably will, it happens all the time. People trying to justify their position or debunk your position you know, using the Bible. But they don't really know the Bible. And it's obvious by the way they're using the Bible. So, number one, if you're going to argue from the Scripture, you probably ought to do your due diligence in advance. Make sure you know the Scripture. So Jesus tells them, you're mistaken, number one, not even knowing the Scriptures, right? Number two, his next kind of... um, the way he points out the, the, the flawed kind of position of their mentality is simple. He says, not only do you not know the scripture, you don't know the power of God. The, the, the question to consider, the question that's being put forth for them is how big is your God, right? I mean, is there anything too hard for God? I mean, you obviously don't know the power of God. And so, you know, you're saying that he can speak, that God can speak, And the universe will, out of nothing, just spring into activity, spring into existence. You're saying that he can breathe, that he can mold mud. Into the shape of a man He can make a man out of dust And he can breathe uh, You know into this This man made of dust And instantly Simultaneously every Complexity that's within the physical Being of humanity The cardiovascular system The reproductive system The digestive system The skeletal system, the muscular system All of them again instantly Harmoniously come into perfect In full function and fruition. But the resurrection, mm, that's just impossible. I mean, that one's out of God's reach, right? I mean, Jesus said, hey, look, first of all, you just need to know that people aren't married or given in marriage in, in the resurrection. You're, you're presuming upon faulty logic. Right. So he destroys their argument concerning marriage, creating a problem with relationships in in the kingdom and all of that. He says, look, they're they're like they're like uh," he tells them that that they're like they don't you don't become angels. You don't get you in all that. He said, but you're like angels in that you're not married or given in marriage in the kingdom. It's not it's not a needful part of the relationship in, in, in the kingdom. But then he said, but concerning the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, "I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob"? Listen, and this is the Lord's. This is how this how ingenious Jesus is at deducting the Scripture. Right? He says, "God is not the God of the dead, but of the living." Right? So he goes back. Jesus goes back all the way to the burning bush passage, that which Moses wrote, right? He goes back to that which Moses wrote, and he says, do you guys remember how God identified himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who had long since passed from the scene, but he says, hey, listen, God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So you're mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Wow. Gosh, I just hope all this stuff is like on like MP4 or something. When we get there, don't you want to see these scenes when you you know, just like spend some time just watching the Lord's life on the earth? Not only for what we do know, but think of all that we don't know. You know, they're at the end of the book of John when he says, Look, I suppose that if all the things were written that the Lord did, not even the books of all the libraries of the earth couldn't contain them. I just want to see it. I want to, you know, I want to know. So, how are the dead raised? Listen, at the at the risk of oversimplifying it. God does it. God does it. God just does it. Ladies and gentlemen, do you remember... When Paul was there in Acts chapter 26 and he was, he was sharing, he was testifying um, before Agrippa, uh, King Agrippa. And he said, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Why should this be such this the overwhelming wow factor to think through the reality that God would raise the dead? Why is this such a big deal? I mean, think about who God is. You know, his endless, matchless, infinite, unlimited power. He is, well, the word we like to use, right? It's omnipotent. What does that mean? It means all-powerful. Well, what does all-powerful mean? Well, it means there's nothing beyond the scope of what He can do. So why is it thought incredible to you? You know, something beyond realistic to you that God raises the dead. Now, so that's, that's how he kind of like handles this first question, how are the dead raised up? Well, I spent a little bit of time on it, but at the end of the day, it's like this. God does it, Right? the second question here Paul's going to entertain for a little while with what body do they come now can I tell you I mean I'm just going to tell you that is a foolish question Okay, but he'll entertain it nonetheless now you go well I don't know Jeff that seems a little presumptuous how do you know it's a foolish question why would you say that's a foolish question well I'll tell you why Look, look at verse 36 foolish one see that What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, you know, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. So now listen, I just want you to know, that the translator here in verse what, 36 was a little more kind in his translation than Paul was in the, the, the literal rendering of what he wrote. The literal rendering isn't foolish one, it's simply fool, okay? Uh, it, and, and the word fool, what does it mean? It it not only means someone lacking intelligence. He's not just going, you know, you obviously lack intelligence. But it means without reflection. It means without reflection. Think about that. What does that mean? It means, listen, you are showing your hand. And you really haven't stopped to reflect on this. Okay? Okay. You really haven't stopped to think this through. You're speaking rashly without giving it any real thought, and it shows. That's what he's saying. I want you to notice that Paul is careful. And by the way, wouldn't you say that this is why it's so important that we take the time to think on? To, well, the, word, the biblical word is to meditate on the word of God. To reflect on it. You remember the psalm? I will delight in the law. That is the word of the Lord. I will. Do you remember the next word? I've kind of given it to you. Meditate day and night. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to chew on it. I'm going to reflect in it, you see. So important. In, in truth, in many ways, and I kind of digress here for a second, I hope that's okay, but that's how God's word you will discover making the transition from your head, like down into your heart. You're not just learning it academically, you're chewing on it, you're meditating on it, it's permeating into your innermost being. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you how shall a young man or woman for that matter cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word guys so important so important but I want you to notice that Paul is careful to explain that resurrection is not reconstruction okay It's not simply God reassembling our decomposing bodies or ashes out of the urn, okay? It's not going to be this body in all of its lacking glory. And this is where the brilliance of Paul's analogy breaks through. Listen. Your resurrection body is your body. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not exactly the same body. Did did you see how he said, in other words, there's continuity, but it's not a copy. In other words, when you plant a seed that same seed doesn't spring out of the ground. Now there's definitely continuity, right? Like we have an acorn, check it out, and an oak tree. So there's continuity, it's not a copy. You have like this bulb, and then you have like the tulips that come from it, yeah? And so, and it could be any number of variety of seeds. He says perhaps wheat or some other grain. But what it produces isn't a copy, but there's continuity. Now, we may not understand every nuance of the process, but we recognize a necessary process nonetheless. He likens it to seed time and harvest. you see that? The seed is sown into the ground when, when, when you sow, whether you're a gardener or you like to plant flowers or... Whatever the case may be. The seed is sown into the ground, and then what happens? Time goes by. You know, and it's an indiscriminate amount of time. It's, it's a little bit different, maybe, for each, you know, um, um, species of, of seed or grain or whatever the case may be. And then what comes up is remarkably different, even though it's directly related, isn't it? Paul is saying this is the relationship between the natural body and the resurrection body. The seed dissolves. What rises up is irrevocably related to the seed. In fact, it is of the seed, but the body that it now has is vastly different. So, when we die, what goes into the ground dissolves what rises up will still be us same person different body in the sense of the acorn to the oak tree the body is dissolved by death changed in the resurrection but it's still you 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 know you but you don't sow the body that will be you guys get that principle right We might also acknowledge this while we're here. A farmer or the planter, the sower, never sows in sorrow. They sow in hope of what's to come. Even so, for you and me, when a loved one dies, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. And this is where you write down, so that you can read it later, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. It's true that we sorrow, and you shouldn't feel bad for that. We sorrow over our temporary separation, but we also have a great anticipation that we will soon see our loved one and rejoice with them again. But Paul points out that God has put this principle of resurrection all around us in nature. When you plant a seed, you don't expect to see that seed come up. God gives it a body as He pleases. So though we don't understand everything about our resurrection body, we know that in some manner it comes from our present body, again, as the oak from the acorn, and that whatever the exact nature of it, it will be well-pleasing to God. And I think that you and me, that we can rest assured that if our resurrection body is, is pleasing to God, God, it's going to be like, I can't think of an expression, you know, it's, it's, it's kaboom for you and me. It's going to be phenomenal to you and me, all right? Um, so look at verse 39. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Uh, There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So Check it out. This is what I love. You know, it would seem evident. Paul has pointed out that the naysayers may not, they didn't put much thought into their their position. They obviously didn't reflect on it much. But it's pretty obvious that Paul had. I mean, he had thought this through. He had met it. He had chewed on this. And he says, all flesh is not the same flesh. You've got the flesh of mankind. Uh, You've got the flesh of animals, of fish, of birds. The idea being that God has uniquely fitted each creature to be suited for the environment in which they live and dwell. And he's going to develop this a little bit farther uh, here in a minute. But he'll land the plane at the fact that for now we are suited for, designed to live temporarily upon the earth. We are earthy people. We are of the earth, designed and suited for the earth. Are you with me there? Then it's only reasonable to expect to anticipate that God will provide for us a body fit for resurrection life eternally not temporarily but eternally in heaven okay he goes even further he says there are celestial bodies there are terrestrial bodies but they vary in glory one from another the glory of the sun varies from the glory of the moon the glory of one star varies from the glory of another star each one being suited to its own particular environment now check this out even though everybody, you know, when, when I see you in, in the kingdom, in heaven, and there you are, you know, and, and there I am, and we're kind of wowing together, whatever the case may be, even though everybody will be a glorified body, it seems that Paul is suggesting here that the glory of one may differ, being greater or lesser, from another. It's interesting that in the book of Daniel, I I didn't provide it for your viewing pleasure, but I'll read it to you. In Daniel, in chapter 12, in verse 3, he said, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Guys, you might look at it like this. Every cup, you get to heaven, every cup, Will be full, uh, dare I say, overflowing? You know, my cup runneth over, kind of a thing. But some cups will be bigger than other cups. You know, hey, look, some of y'all may be Dixie cups, <laughs> or maybe the little communion cup. <laughs> you know, I want to be the big, you know, uh, big gulp kind of cup, or you know, you know what I'm saying? Like the, uh, and, you know, the thing is, is it's like every cup will be full but some cups maybe have a larger capacity, maybe the glory, it differs, you see. Well, what makes the difference? I mean, we could talk about sacrifice, we could talk about service, but I believe ultimately if you were to to narrow it down to one thing specifically, I would say faithfulness to that which God has committed to your trust. Well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah? Yeah? Those are the words you're looking for when you stand before Jesus. You want that, as Peter said in his second epistle, you want that abundant entrance supplied to you. Listen, now listen, I don't want to take away or diminish or shrink any entrance. Any entrance is a wonderful entrance. But hey, let's go for the abundant entrance. What do you say? So what's sown isn't exactly what rises. There are different kinds of bodies, different degrees of glory. I look at verse 42. He says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Here, Paul is continuing to help us Gain a grasp of the now then relationship of the resurrection. But what he wants you to realize, what he wants you to realize here is that in every way and on every level the resurrection body will be far superior to the body you dwell in now. Your mortal body is perishable. Your resurrection body Will be imperishable. Your current body is subject to sickness and death, neither of which will be applicable to your resurrection body. Your current body is temporal, imperfect, and weak. Your resurrection body will be eternal, perfect, and powerful. Okay, you might look at it like this: incorruption triumphs, uh, or pardon me, yeah, incorrupt, cor- incorruption triumphs over corruption. Okay, Glory triumphs over dishonor, power triumphs over weakness, and the spiritual triumphs over natural. There is no manner in which your resurrection body won't be exceedingly greater than the mortal body that you presently abide in. How can we know that? Well, Paul points it out in verse 45. All you have to do is consider the source. The first perfect man, Adam, gave us one kind of a body, a natural body. The second perfect man, only two perfect men have ever walked the face of this earth, and the first one kind of screwed it up. So Adam and Jesus... And Jesus, the last Adam, meaning the the last perfect man to walk the face of, gives us another kind of body, a spiritual body. Now, the, the important word to note here is the word body. There's a natural body, there's a spiritual body. In other words, you won't be a bodiless spirit. You will have a spiritual body. You see that? Okay, now, again, look at verse Uh, 46, he says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, uh, so also are those who are heavenly and underline this. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Somebody say amen to that. Come on. Adam, listen, Adam could not give you more than he was. He was a man made of dust. And that's what we inherit in him bodies of dust. After Adam had sinned and God was telling him the curse that he had brought on himself, he said, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, that is out of the ground, you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Well, it's no wonder then as you fast forward later to the Garden of Gethsemane and the Lord is asking Peter if he would just stay up and pray and Peter and the guys keep falling asleep and they're like so frustrated with themselves because they're trying to honor the Lord and they keep failing and falling in it. And Jesus would say, Peter, look, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, you may want to do the right thing, uh, but so often in and of your own strength, Hey, look, can I have a witness here? You fail. You know, contrary uh, to what we like to think of ourselves, um, there's not much capacity in us. I mean, if I was to be rather blunt, I mean, we're all just a bunch of dirtbags, <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I would never diminish or digress from or or want to somehow take away from the Lord's work. And certainly through the power of His Spirit, He can enable us and all. But these frames are weak and corruptible. In, In Psalm chapter 103, David wrote, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him, for He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I think we forget that. You know, you make these goals. You put pressure on yourself. And you know what? That's fine. That's well. Perhaps in some cases it's healthy. You know, you want to be goal-oriented and give yourself something. to. But we kick ourselves. We fail. But God remembers, look, we don't have much to work with. I mean, we're dust. We bear the image of the man of dust. But in Christ, come on, man. The day is coming when we will bear the image of the heavenly man, even Jesus himself to the Philippians Paul put it like this for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the savior the lord jesus christ notice who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself how how does it happen he does it <laughs> he, he is able come on somebody he is able Notice our lowly body will be conformed to his glorious body. If you want an idea, you're thinking it through, you're like, what will that body, what will my you know resurrection body really be like? If you want an idea of, of the kind of body you will inherit, the best example we have is the resurrection body of Jesus himself. You know, um, he... He was still material. His body was material. He could eat. You could touch him. Remember, he told Thomas, touch, feel the holes, this and that. I'm not. He said, matter of fact, he said, I'm not a spirit. I have flesh and bones and all. But at the same time, he could be in one place. And then in a moment's time, he could be in another place. Uh, meaning, there he was or there he wasn't. Right? They're, in the, they're in the room there they're talking with one another they're not sure they can even believe the report that's been given and then boom there he was right in the middle of them and they're all yeah, and understandably so and that's when he's like hey guys it's, it's me it's me touch me I'm not a spear I'm not a ghost you know he could pass through walls in the ascension he essentially flew I mean there he was just that'd be cool He wasn't bound by the laws of nature. That's the point. And John tells us in 1 John chapter 3 in verse 2 that when we see him, you know where this is going. We will be like him. You will bear his image. Now, one might wonder, if death is destroyed... Why then do Christians die? Well, now you know. It's because your body presently isn't fit for the eternal. You must be changed. And Paul's about to tell us flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what then of those Christians who are alive? that the, They haven't yet tasted death, but then Christ comes. What of the, the living, those, the believers at the coming of Christ? What if flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom and then Christ comes? Well, then what? What, ha- what happens? Well, look at verse 50. He says, Now this I say, brethren again, these are all, look, these are all underlinable. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold. Now, when you read the word behold in Scripture, in the modern vernacular, we might say it like this. Check this out, okay? Uh, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on incorruption. Immortality. You know, verse 51 is what I've encouraged the nursery to paint on their walls for years. And they're just not feeling it. You know, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, I think it's apropos. Be that as it may. I'm firing all the old classics out today. Be that as it may, Paul says here that we cannot as we are inherit the kingdom of God corruption does not inherit Ew, man that scared me for a minute but we're with you uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear of power and of love and of sound mind right? <laughs> it's all good it's all good it was oxygen be that as it may Paul says here that we can't inherit, right? Corruption doesn't inherit in corruption. We aren't going to populate heaven in bodies subject to disease or injury or death. Our present bodies aren't fit for heaven. And so then the question comes, what then happens if we're alive when the trumpet sounds and the the dead are raised, incorruptible, but we aren't dead, Paul tells us. And ladies and gentlemen, this is what we refer to as the rapture of the church. Christians who are alive at the coming of Christ won't taste death, but they will be changed nonetheless. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the idea is suddenly, instantaneously, but notice there's an order. We don't precede those who have died. Uh, They will inherit their resurrection bodies in a moment, and then those who are alive and remain will be changed. Now, it's going to happen, guys, it's going to happen so fast that from a linear perspective, I can't imagine that it'd be seen as anything other than just a simultaneous kind of event. But the Bible is clear. The dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now, Paul shared this same truth with the Thessalonians. But when he told them, he said, I'm going to share with you something by the word of the Lord. That's the phrase he used, by the word of the Lord. Here he says, I tell you a mystery. You should know, same thing, okay? Because a mystery in the Bible isn't something that, man, if I would had just worked hard enough, I could have figured it out. If I had just like done my, you know, my due diligence, my detective, my deductive reasoning and all of the things, I should have seen that. No, no, no. A biblical mystery is something that you will never figure out uh, unless the Lord revealed it. So it's something that it's the word of the Lord. It's It's a revelation from the Lord. Now, God hadn't revealed this in the Old Testament, but under the new covenant to the church, he did. Why? Because it's applicable to the church. The church will be here when he comes. Now, in First Thessalonians, we read it like this. He said, "For this we say to you, notice by the word of the Lord. Behold, I tell you a mystery, right? I, this is a word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed or go before those who are asleep that is, those who have died in Christ. We won't go first for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God notice and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be notice the words caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord amen now this is where people have trouble and guys we're not too far from finished just stay with me. Um, if, you're, if you're feeling a little sleepy maybe we just need another good scare or something. But be that as it may or maybe that was just me. Um, this this is where people have trouble because they say well you know the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Uh, and, and that's sort of well it's only sort of true. By the way uh, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible either. Uh, but we receive it because why? It helps us uh, gain an appropriate understanding of the principle of the Godhead. We see it, it, just that word specifically isn't said. Well, the word rapture helps us gain an appropriate understanding uh, of, of what's being said here when the words are specifically, they, they, I had them underlined, there are two words in English, one word in, in the Greek, but it's the word caught up. Okay? It's the word harpazo. In the Greek, it means snatched away violently, suddenly, uh, in a moment, as Paul says in Corinthians, in the twinkling of an eye. It's the same thing that he's talking about. Now, when the Greek was translated into the Latin Vulgate, uh, the, the, the word they used, and I'm going to butcher it, it's like rapimur, it's R A P I E M U R. However, you say that. And then rapturo, okay? R-A-P-T-U-R-O. And that the, the word rapturo is from where we get our word in, in the English rapture. It's rapture, okay? But it's this, it's this snatching away violently, this sudden transformation you see, where you're caught up to be with the Lord uh, in, in the clouds. But it's in this moment that believers receive their resurrection body. When a believer dies currently, their spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But from what we can discern until the time of the rapture, we will kind of abide in this intermediate state. And I don't want that to sound too funky, but just kind of, in other words, you won't have a material body. Your spirit will be with the Lord. And at the time of the rapture, Those who have already died will at that moment receive their resurrection body. And those who are alive upon the earth will instantly, suddenly be caught up and changed, changed and caught up to be with the Lord, to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, resurrection is your destiny. Uh, Now. Now you can see why Paul is taking the time and we have taken such an extended amount of time to rebuke the Corinthian Christians and and, and reestablish those and reorient those Corinthian Christians of this reality when they were struggling with it. Is it even true, you see? It's your destiny. You, You just can't doubt this, you see. Now, verse 54, and guys, we're almost finished. He says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Underline it, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Sigmund Freud. I don't have time to belabor the point. I'm just going to say he was wrong Uh, when he said, And finally, there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found nor probably ever will be. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus Christ ended the reign of death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Sin brings death. The law identifies sin. Jesus fulfilled the law and defeated death. And through our Lord Jesus Christ, God gives us the victory. Well, what then should be the practical application of such a powerful principle Well, it's the final verse of our passage, notice. And uh, Karen, if you want to make your way up, we're going to close here. Look at verse 58. Therefore, or in light of, or because of all of the things we've just previously gone through and talked about throughout the entirety of this chapter, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen. And by the way, that's an underlined one too. Because we know that death is defeated, and you have an eternal resurrection destiny with Through and thanks to Jesus Christ, that should cause you to stand firm and unshakable in your service to Him here and now. So you have this destiny eternally, but presently, you see, this should be your activity. Always abounding. The word abounding means increasing in the work of the Lord. Resting assured that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The question comes down to this. And this is just between you and the Lord. You've got to think about this. Are you living with a view toward this natural temporary life you know going for the gusto and all or eternal resurrection life I'm just going to be honest with you you may not see a whole lot of plus in serving somewhere in the church or you know volunteering at some outreach and honestly it it may not do something grand for you in this life. But I'm just going to tell you, man, when you see Jesus, you'll be glad you did. Your reward will be, you ready for one more? Out of this world. Don't worry about being successful by the measure of this world uh, that is in your service to the Lord, like whatever, you know, what is the measure of success in ministry? Don't worry about that. It's not about being successful. It's about being faithful. Be diligent to be found faithful for you can be sure that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Father what a timely word of encouragement for us today for the times to which you've called us help us to be to be faithful steadfast immovable always abounding in that for which you have laid hold of our lives We just thank you for the promise of your word. And we give you praise. And what a wonderful promise to be assured of today. The promise of resurrection. It just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Resurrection is your destiny. But it only applies to you truly if you are in Christ. Victory, salvation is yours in Christ. Alienation, condemnation awaits those who are not in Christ. Listen, Jesus has made a way where there was no way, so I encourage you to believe on Him today and be saved. You know, whether you're with us here in the sanctuary, maybe you're joining us online, I don't know. But if you don't know the Lord, I want to give you a moment right here, right now to acknowledge your need for Him, to believe upon Him and be saved. So I'm speaking to you who are here in front of me. If, if that's you and the Lord's dealing with you, He's speaking to you, I want to pray for you. Just, just share with me who you are, that you need Christ, that you need His forgiveness. You, you, you're uh, in need of that newness of life. Old things passing away, behold, all things made new. I want to pray for you. If that's you, just raise your hand. And if I see your hand, I'll, I'll say so. God bless you. Anyone else, today's the day for you. I don't want you to miss your moment. Or maybe you're, you're with us online. You know, I, sometimes I fail to, to recognize that. Um, but the offer goes out. It doesn't matter if you're here or there or where you are, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about this. We're not talking about a head knowledge. We're talking about that heart. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so I'm just going to say this prayer and wherever you are, whatever's happening in your heart or your life, I just want to give you the opportunity you can follow along in your heart Just come to the Lord and just uh, confess. Just say, Lord, I'm I'm a sinner. Listen, the Bible tells us that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Just come to grips with it. Agree with God on it. Say, Lord, it's true. I I acknowledge it. I am a sinner. But I'm, I'm coming before you, Lord. I'm humbling myself and asking you to forgive me of my sin. Lord, that you would come into my heart and my life. I want you to be real to me, my Savior and my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And thanks for putting my name in your book of life. Listen, if you prayed a prayer like that, I just want you to know that God is listening to the cry of your heart. And that old things have passed away, and all things are made new. And you're guaranteed the destiny of resurrection. What a joy. What a comfort. What a hope. And as for the rest of you who are here or there, uh, I'm just kind of giving you a moment here to, to reflect. That's the word, isn't it? To reflect. Don't be, and, and I don't mean this in any condescending way, but just as Paul was talking, let, how about I include, uh, make myself the first example. I don't want to be a fool when it comes to the word of God. Just kind of hear it and then go away from it and never think about it, never reflect on it. Never let it really impact me or make a a dent in me, a lasting change. What did God speak to your heart today? Think about it. God, you are so good and truly, greatly to be praised. Help us to lay hold of that for which you've laid hold of us. And may we be faithful to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? Guys, may the Lord bless you. May He be with you, and may His Spirit abide in strength and power upon you. And uh, may you find yourself, again, just thinking through and uh, reflecting on His Word, and kind of allowing it to, to to permeate, you know, from the head down into the heart, and it's a seed, the seed of His Word taking taking root in the soil of our hearts and may it bring forth fruit for the glory of his name. And as always, we're up here for prayer for you, whatever your, your need may be. We, we don't want to impose ourselves upon you, but we certainly want to avail ourselves to you. And so if you have any need for prayer, you can make your way right on down as we dismiss and we'll be glad to stand in the gap on behalf of you to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, the law of, of love for truly You are loved. So, Father, uh, thank you again. And uh, we just honor you. We worship you. We renew ourselves to you, God. And we just say, please, uh, uh, Lord, we we recognize that we, you know, what are we? We're dust. There's just not a lot to work with here. uh, But, God, we give you all that we are. And we pray, Lord, that you would have your way, whether that's reorienting, renewing, (laughs) recalibrating rebuking, whatever needs done, Lord. Just do it. That we might serve you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday afternoon.